This is an ABC podcast. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. You know, there's a guy in Queensland who has a pretty wild job. When he goes to work, he's tracking down the plants and insects with the worst stings. Then he's deliberately inflicting those stings on himself. What? You're asking? Yeah, in a bit you're going to meet this guy, and don't worry, it's not some retro flashback to jackass. This is legit, trust me. There's a reason that he's doing this, and you'll want to hear why. Also, an update on that huge meeting on dating app safety that happened today. We said that we'd keep you across it. We've got Chanel Contos on later to talk through it. First, though. Hack. It's so hard because you'll see the way I was scammed, you wouldn't think I was being scammed. On Triple J. You know, when you think of scams, maybe you got an image of a grandparent being swindled over the phone or by some really obvious dodgy email. The thing is, though, scams are not just hitting boomers. Actually, some new figures show hackers are targeting more young people than ever before. And as you're about to hear, some have even lost all of their life savings through a worrying new cyber attack that's on the rise. And the experts are warning the people that are taking the money are the same gangs that are trafficking drugs and human beings. ABC reporter Brianna Fiore has more. When I turned 14 and a half, I started getting a job and throughout high school, I always had two jobs. There are few as hardworking as Aurora Casilli. In high school, she juggled multiple jobs to make ends meet. I worked every day after school and every weekend and I just saved, 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 just saved as much as I possibly could. Once I finished high school, uh, I also got this admin job. So I was doing both jobs and this job at the same time at one point. The teenager moved to Australia from Italy a couple of years ago and now lives in a quiet city called Albany on the south coast of Western Australia. Aurora wanted to move to the big smoke with some money under her belt and was tossing up between studying a Bachelor of Arts or Criminology. Like if I needed to move to Perth, obviously find a rental and for the moving up there or to just help myself buy my own home. But things went horribly wrong. One Saturday morning, I was doing everything like normal and Nab sent me a text message about this pay ID that was happening on my account. Code for pay ID to Yasakan is 991-112. Do not share this with anyone. If you did not do this, call us on this 1-800 number immediately. This text appeared in a message thread Aurora already had with Nab. You know, the ones you get to confirm your new account or notify you about a new card. So they sent a message on the exact same where I've received all of those messages from 2020. And I unfortunately called the 1-800 number that was written in the text. It was like, hi, welcome to NAB. Please select your options. I waited over an hour and when I finally got to someone, they were like, can you please verify your name, date of birth and address? And then basically they were said, yeah, we're just looking at your account. Someone is trying to get into it. Uh, you'll need to transfer your money into another NAB account that I'm just creating now. As soon as I transferred the money, um, they hanged up. And just like that, the 18-year-old was conned into handing over her hard-earned dollars to scammers. She lost more than $36,000. It was everything she had in her account. You know, people work hard every day to save up for their life and then they suddenly take that away from that. She admits her mental health has taken a turn for the worse. It has. I've been needing to do a lot of counselling. 
and just kind of getting support where I can. But it is it is very difficult because that's all the money I had. The crime is called spoofing and it's where hackers infiltrate an existing message thread from a legitimate source. It seems realistic, but it's not. People aged between 18 and 24 in WA have reported an increase in scams every year for the past three years. That's according to data from Consumer Protection, a branch of WA's Department of Mines, Industry, Regulation and Safety. In 2021, those aged 25 to 34 reported losing more money in scams than people over 65. The figures even reveal under-18s are falling victim to scams. All up, Australians lost a record $2 billion to scammers in 2021, according to the Targeting Scams Report. We don't have last year's data yet, but experts are worried it could be twice as bad. They are transnational organised crime groups. They're incredibly well-resourced, incredibly robust. This is Chris Sheehan. He's the executive for Group Investigations and Fraud at NAB Bank. He's also a former fraud detective with the Australian Federal Police. They're the same groups that are trafficking drugs and firearms and human beings around the world. We are constantly trying to catch up with the new vulnerabilities or the new technologies that they use. He says it's not just the elderly who are getting conned. I think there's a misnomer or a misperception out there that victims of scams are typically older people. That is absolutely not the case. NAB says people's money is safe in their accounts and people should never be pressured to moving their money. It encourages everyone to be vigilant and report any suspicious activity. As for Aurora, she has a warning for others who may think it'll never happen to them. It's so hard because you'll see the way I was scammed, you wouldn't think I was was being scammed. Um, It's not like they're texting me on a random number. They're texting me on legitimate other NAP messages. Aurora's uni plans have been put on hold for now. She says she has to rely on her boyfriend to temporarily cover their rent and is working to try and build up her depleted savings account. NAB would not comment on individual cases, but confirmed it was working with Aurora. She's yet to recover any of her money. They're getting too smart these days, and I think people just need to have better security things in place, and banks should be helping. Hack on Triple J. Brianna Fiore with that story. It was produced by Angel Parsons. And hey, if something like that has happened to you, report it to Scamwatch. You can go to scamwatch.gov.au and we're getting messages from people who say, yes, I've been hit up with similar things. Someone said, I just got that specific spam call 10 minutes ago. It was from Visa though, allegedly. Another person says, scammers making you wait an hour for a realistic experience. I mean, the thing is, like, that's a joke, but it's true. Like, they're going to all kinds of efforts to make it feel like it's legit. So it's happening to so many young people. We're going to keep talking about scams now, but we're focusing on a little bit of a different area, sextortion. And I'm talking about blackmail where someone threatens to share intimate images of you unless you give in to their demands. We've talked about this kind of image-based abuse before on Hack. It happens to adults. Worryingly, though, it's happening more to teenagers, especially boys. They're the biggest target in Australia at the moment. Let's find out a bit more. Acting Commander Jane Crossling is with us now. She is with the Australian Federal Police, the Centre to Counter Child Exploitation. Commander, thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Thanks, Dave. When we're talking about sextortion, what are we talking about? Like, is this a form of scam in itself? Absolutely. So the sextortion of young people is absolutely not new, unfortunately. It's just that what law enforcement is now seeing, uh, not just in Australia but other countries as well, is the monetization of the sextortion of young people. So 
Previously, we might have seen somebody uh, blackmail or extort a young person for more images or more serious images and to exert some sort of control and that they were actually getting some sort of sexual gratification out of that. But what we're now seeing is that the organised crime syndicates that have typically scammed uh, all of the adults out there in an array of different scams such as, you know, dating and romance scams, they've actually decided to turn their sights on young people. And this is a phenomenon that's happening out throughout the, the Western world, essentially. Right. I mean, for people to get it in their heads, what kinds of scenarios are we talking about? What might a scammer do to get a young person in a vulnerable situation? They're typically getting an unsolicited friend request from a female and the profile picture tends to be quite attractive. So this is where they're targeting boys. And we know that boys are around 95% at the moment the target of these scams. Wow. Uh, and that's uh, that's common in other countries as well. So very quickly after the friending happens, they're friending them on predominantly platforms of um, Instagram and Snapchat. They're then um, asking them to move to a different platform where they can talk perhaps in an encrypted chat and also share images and video depending on uh, where the conversation heads. The conversation moves to sexualised content really rapidly. Um, It's amazing how quickly we're seeing this play out and this is where we would say to a young person, there's some red flags here. So the very attractive female might share some images of herself and then ask the young boy to share the same. And very, very rapidly, there'll be demands made for money. And it's frequently what we're seeing, a very, very high amount, like an impossible amount for a young person to get their hands on easily. Even, you know, middle class and, you know, fairly well-off country like Australia, um, the kinds of amounts of money that they're asking for is just outrageous. But that's designed to put a lot of pressure on the young person and make them feel really fearful. So then there may be some negotiation. What the scammer will do is sort of do a countdown and say, you know, you've got you've got 10 seconds and just put so much pressure on them, then they'll come to a negotiation and eventually the young person will pay. They may have the money in their own bank account and they'll transfer that across. They may have to go into a bank branch to make it happen. They may ask for um, them to go to a shop and um, purchase gift cards. So we say in all situations, don't pay and don't even negotiate it down, just don't pay. And in many instances, they don't end up sharing the images that have been created. I mean, this is wild. And you can imagine the kind of stress that someone would be under if they're going through this, they're feeling really vulnerable already, and then they just, they're young, they don't know what to do. Do we know how many victims are actually reporting it to authorities? Because I'm guessing people would think, oh, have I done something wrong? Am I going to get in trouble? Absolutely. So we know that a young person is likely to be very embarrassed feel like they could talk to somebody, but we certainly stress just how important it is that a young person gets some help. We want those reports. We really need those reports so we can take action, both from a law enforcement perspective, but also to put some support services around that young person. What the offenders are doing is making out that what the um, kids have done is actually illegal And therefore, they can't go to law enforcement and they can't tell their parents. So you can imagine how trapped a young person would feel if they thought there was no one to turn to. And then sometimes the syndicates actually pick off 
all of the um, friends in a friendship group online because they can see all the connections because they've friended them. So they don't even talk to each other about it and it just creates this isolation and vulnerability but we just really need to get that message out there. They have to report. We want to get all of the support services we possibly can around them and from a law enforcement perspective, there's actually a fair bit we can do. We may not necessarily get their money back but we've been finding ways to disrupt that type of activity even though it's coming from organised crime that's offshore. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Acting Commander Jane Crosling from the AFP, the Australian Federal Police, about sextortion, young people being targeted in sexual extortion scams. Jane, I want to point out this isn't just teenage boys, right, because there's going to be people listening going, I was caught up in this, I'm in my, you know, 20s, maybe older. Um, Anyone can be targeted, right? Your investigations are honing in on child exploitation, but this information that you're giving about what to do, what not to do, is relevant to most people. You're absolutely right. So we're well aware and we work closely with our partner eSafety. They're also telling us what they're seeing in relation to 18 to 24-year-olds, particularly males as well, that are getting caught up in this. We need to stress to that particular age cohort as well how important it is to report and that we also have um, options available that if they know where their content has uh, ended up, we have ways to actually have that content removed um, in certain circumstances. But again, it's highly likely that it's the same um, organised crime syndicates that are offshore that are behind all of this. So this is this is where there's, there's tangible benefits in reporting and, and allowing law enforcement to get a much more fulsome picture. We absolutely know how underreported this crime is and we just need to get a much better picture because we have genuine concerns about self-harm that is happening out there right now. Well, I was going to ask, the consequences of this are pretty dire, right? People can start to spiral, get into some really dark places, yeah? Absolutely. So because they've been so manipulated by the scammers who are just excellent in pivoting to find ways to you know, exploit people in any number of different areas. So we need to cut through that. Know that if you make a report, you're going to be relieved and you can make that report through to the ACE, which is ACCE.gov.au. You can also report to your local police as well. And between all of us, we will make every action we possibly can to ensure that all the report details are taken, plus also we can hook them up with all the support services. All right, Acting Commander Jane Crosling from the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation. Really appreciate you joining us on Hack. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Dave. Hack on Triple J. And a lot of messages coming through on this one. Someone says, literally had this happen to me this morning. Lucky I noticed the red flags and deleted straight away. Another person talking about another scam. I got scammed a couple of weeks ago. I was selling a car. They were using a fake PayPal email and were saying that the buyer was depositing the funds into the PayPal account. I lost $6,000. It's no good. Look, there's so much of this happening. We're going to keep across it on Hack. Hack. There's rumours out there that bites from these spiders will have a flesh-eating effect. So what I'm going to do is test whether this bite will actually do that. On Triple J. You know, some stories you come across and you think, sorry, what the hell is this? And I'm happy to tell you, this is one of those stories. There is a scientist out there, a molecular biologist who is letting bees, wasps, about 200 different insects and plants sting him deliberately so he can feel the pain. Don't believe me? Here's the sound of him getting stung by a wasp. Oh, 
right. <laughs> it's not faking it. <laughs> Sorry, what kind of messed up guy is this? Well, his name's Dr. Sam Robinson and he's with us now from the University of Queensland. Sam, welcome to Hack. Hi, how are you doing? How does it feel to hear that back, you being stung by a wasp? It's pretty pretty awful to listen to. I imagine it was pretty awful to yeah. experience firsthand. It does bring back a little bit of trauma, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is, when I was watching that video of you being stung today in the office, it did sound very sus. If you couldn't see my computer screen, these moans and groans were coming. I had to explain, <laughs> no, guys, no, guys, it's just this guy being stung by a heap of bees. Of it, course. It yeah. was still sus though when they heard that they were like what are you talking about let's be honest here the main question is going to be why are you doing this and we're going to get to that in a minute but firstly sam what kinds of things have you been deliberately stung by uh just about anything you can think of that stings actually little ants spiders stinging plants um i do draw the line at snakes oh he draws the line somewhere so why are you doing this what 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 is the reason behind it because the people being out there thinking is this just some kind of stunt or whatever but (laughs) this is legit science right it is it's it's science in its purest form you know i'm testing these things to see what they feel like and you can get a huge amount of information out of that and so just to backtrack a little bit um i'm a i'm a pain researcher so i'm interested in how pain works right down at the molecular level. And these animals that sting you, they've got, they've got chemicals in their venom. They're there to cause pain and they do things at a molecular level in your nerves and they're doing different things, they're doing different things and that's really what the, uh, this, this sort of search and exploration is about. So you get stung by one thing and it feels very different to say another thing and um, that tells you that there's something different going on there and that you might find something new out and something new about pain is is very valuable um, because, yeah, we need new drugs for treating different types of pain. Is there still a lot that we don't know about pain and stings, how plants and animals use them and how they impact us? We actually didn't know until very recently why why a a honeybee sting hurt and what the chemistry was behind that. And I guess maybe... It wasn't that attractive to a lot of researchers to, to figure that out because it doesn't have a direct <laughs> application, right? Um, and, and getting stung is not that attractive either. What I've done is sort of turned that on its head and said, actually, hang on, there's, these, there's this information there that could actually be really, really valuable. So how did you get to the point where you were like, all right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to start letting um, insects, uh, plants, whatever, sting me? And had you before that, had you been stung by a lot of things previously? <laughs> Yeah, so I'll answer the second question first. I have been stung many, many times in my life, um, not always intentionally. I actually worked as a beekeeper as a, as a kid, <laughs> as a high school student. That was my summer job. And, um, you know, I would have got 100. A good day was no stings. A bad day was something like 30 stings. Wow. So I, I was very used to be being uh, stung. Um, but what I, I, I moved to Australia. I'm actually originally from New Zealand. And I moved over here and I heard these stories about these stinging trees Um uh, some of them are called Gimpy Gimpy and others have different names. And um, I came across one of these in, in the rainforest one day, not far from Brisbane. And um, I'd heard these rumours that they cause this excruciating pain that can, you know, last for hours and then does this really weird thing um, where if you get the sting site cold again, the pain comes straight back. And this can actually last for months. And the people have been stung by this listening will 
will be nodding their heads at that. Um, I, th- I looked at this plant and I thought, you know, there's no way a plant can do that to you. you. You must be joking. People are exaggerating. So, you know, I just reached out and touched it, of course. And, um, <laughs> and it was like, wham, you know, just this this shock that a, a plant was capable of, of doing something like so that. So initially, and, what did it feel like? What was the sting like? Yeah, it's really sharp. It's just like being jabbed by a, a needle or something, but it just keeps going and going, you, you know, like hours. You know, you're feeling this hours later. And then um, the really cool or interesting thing perhaps was that I was driving home after that and I had my, my air conditioning on in the car and where my hand was on the steering wheel, the air conditioning was blowing on it and the pain was coming right back where that cold air was touching it. Um, so the all the rumours were true as it's a fascinating sting and um, it's something that, that motivated me to go on and, and figure out what was, what was in that sting that was causing um, that pain, what the chemical was and what it was doing to our bodies. And that, um, Well, I guess that's the thing because when we think about pain, we don't really think too much about the different kinds of pain. It's just mm-hmm. either something's painful or it's not. But as mm-hmm. you say, there are different types. And um, with that particular pain, and you were talking about the cold, people say, um, you know, if you're undergoing certain types of chemotherapy, for instance, that's you right. might be um, enduring a similar kind of pain. I know my mum's undergoing chemo at the moment and she often talks about that and it's something I can't really understand. She's like, oh, I can't touch anything cold and it's a real sensitivity. This could help long-term alleviating very specific types of pain. Is that what you're hoping? That's exactly it. So we've heard about these these um, people who are undergoing chemotherapy have these side effects of the drugs which cause something called cold allodynia. So that sort of increased sensitivity to cold where you wouldn't usually feel pain from on something cold. The thing is, we as scientists actually had no idea how that side effect was happening, what was causing that cold allodynia. But now we have a chemical from this plant, this Australian plant, that does exactly the same thing. And we think we can use that to understand um, what's causing this, and then that's the way you find treatments for it. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm chatting with Dr. Sam Robinson, a scientist putting his body on the line and during some of the worst stings from animals and plants in Australia in his research into pain relief. So how do you record the pain? You're taking notes about what kind of pain you're feeling. Um, how do you do that? Is there some kind of scale that you use? It's called the Schmidt Pain Index. You know, he was the first to sort of, he'd been stung by a few things just accidentally and he um, he started recording what they felt like because he noticed that different stings did different things. Basically how it works, it's, it's very simple. What he does is he's taken a sting that everyone, almost, you know, lots of people have experienced, which is just your standard honeybee sting. And he said, you know, your average honeybee sting can have a rating of two. Anything less that feels a bit less th- painful than that or a less pleasant experience, um, get, say, a one, nothing is a zero. Um, anything worse than your average honeybee sting, you know, you're looking at a three and anything much, much worse is a four. Right. I mean, people are going to be wanting to know what the worst sting yeah. you've endured is. I guess that's probably one of the popular questions. You mentioned yeah, the is. stinging tree before, but what do you think <laughs> the worst pain you've suffered as a result of putting yourself through this enormous <laughs> trauma? Yeah, the most painful is a that I've experienced is a, a, a giant wasp called a tarantula hawk. Now, these are these, you know, they're a couple of inches long. They're absolutely enormous, intimidating wasps, the, the sort of thing you have nightmares about. And they're, oh. they're called tarantula hawks because they, they hunt tarantulas and they, 
they sting them and use them as uh, food. So tarantulas are scared of these things. You're like, Actually, oh yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll grab yeah. one of these. I'll yeah. grab one of these and get it to sting yeah. me. So what is that? What you did? Did you have one um, that someone had caught and you just put it on yourself? And no, I caught it myself. So oh, I was actually what? over there and um and um sure enough, it did hurt quite a lot. And and something else I did when I came back to Australia was um. We actually have a version of this wasp in Australia that hunts giant huntsman spiders, which everyone's familiar with. I thought, you know, there's not really any records on what these wasps do. And that was actually the the, the video you were, or the sound you were playing back was me being stung by one of these uh, spider-hunting wasps. Both of those score, score a four. Oh, wow. So you had a four. You've experienced the four. Look, what are you hoping comes out of this, Dr. Sam Robinson? What's the, what's the ideal situation out of this research? So ultimately, we want new pain treatments. At the moment, we're pretty limited in how we can treat many types of pain. A lot of pain actually just goes untreated. Um, because the drugs either don't work or they have really terrible side effects. I think that this research is sort of laying a foundation for finding new new drugs. It's telling us about how our nerves work, how they're sending signals to design the next generation of painkiller drugs. And Dr. Sam, not to diminish your work at all, but I'm just going to ask this because people are asking, this, mm-hmm. this is science, it's not just a weird kink, right? This is the, the purest form of science. <laughs> Dr. Sam Robertson, well, someone's got to do it and we're glad you've put your hand up to do it. We really appreciate, you know, all the work you're doing but also explaining it to us. Thanks for coming on Hack and Breaking It All Down. Thank you. Hack on Triple J. And hey, we get a lot of messages through on this. Someone says, different stings to different things. What a slogan. Yeah, we don't know what the slogan's for but it would be for something. Another person says, what about a sting from a rolled up tea towel? (laughs) That's the worst thing of all. Can I please confirm? And just a reminder, do not try this at home. Obviously, Dr. Sam, he does a lot of research. He knows what his body can handle. And he does say it's not safe for everyone, but it is incredible research. There isn't enough protections in the design of the app and the technology companies that do keep people safe. On Triple Jack. Earlier this week, we told you about a big meeting happening today on dating app safety. The government has got together experts, the dating apps themselves, political leaders to try to figure out how to make apps safer for you. And we know it's not going to be easy because as you've heard on Hack before, there are serious issues. So many sexual assaults, harassment linked to these platforms and three million of us use dating apps every day. This roundtable discussion did happen today and one of the people there was women's safety consent advocate Chanel Contos and she's with us now. Hey Chanel, thanks for your time. Hey, of course. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. How are you though? You had the big meeting today. How did it go? Are you feeling pretty good coming out of it? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was really good to see people in the room who just have so much influence, like who can literally change our country's policies, laws, you know, as quickly as they want to, listening to this sort of information and then also such high representatives from the tech companies themselves, the, you know, dating app industry. People flew in from overseas and were there in the room and it was actually a physical round table, which was really cool. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to ask that. I was like, is a round table actually round? How does it work? <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually a round table, which was like incredible. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. And when you say the apps were there and people had come from all overseas, that's the big thing, right? Because, I mean, you've been campaigning about this sort of stuff for so long. The hard thing is getting into the same room as someone, but to have political leaders, uh, representatives of the apps themselves there, did it feel like there was a lot of goodwill from the platforms to make big changes? 
A hundred percent. I mean, I think they are open to ideas and collaborating together. They called it co-competition or something or co-collaboration or something. Um, Like working together to make it all safe, like the whole dating scene safer for everyone. Um, And yeah, I mean, there was definitely space to kind of listen and see what could be done better and to suggest what was going on at other app platforms. Like for example, in the US, there's an app that cross-checks people's dating profiles with whether they're on a sex um, sexual offenders registry list and things like that. So kind of all these options that were floated around um, and kind of seeing what could be done in the space. And one of the big ones that we've been hearing a lot about this week is like background checks, the possibility of those when you sign up for apps. Do you have any thoughts specifically on that, Chanel, or are you just like listening to all the ideas at this stage? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's no harm in a background check, but I want to ensure that we're not providing a false sense of security for users because just because someone does not have a conviction does not mean that they are a safe person to date or that they will not, you know, sexually assault you on a date or that they won't send you a harassing message if you reject them. Um, So, like, we have such low rates of reporting and then even lower rates of conviction in the physical world. So I feel like Probably not a solution, but I think it is definitely something that should be implemented for those kind of like high risk sexual or domestic violence offenders. And so now there's going to be um, more meetings, I would assume. I heard the communications minister, Michelle Rowland, saying she's going to give what you guys talked about to the attorneys general across the country and then there'll be more discussions. Are you feeling optimistic that this is going to lead to some real changes in the long run, Chanel? Yeah, I really do. I think even just the um, kind of collaboration between all the different parties in the room and the fact that so many people were exchanging numbers and then like, oh, let's work together on this um, will lead to something. And it really does seem like the government and you know the commissioners who were there in attendance today are really keen to do something on this. But I guess what I was kind of trying to push as an agenda while I was there was to make sure it was understood that the reason that the online world is so dangerous for women and minority groups is because the offline world is so dangerous for women and minority groups. And that ultimately what needs to happen is we need to have a culture that is respectful and understands consent and all that stuff that I've like thinking yeah. <laughs> about for so long. Because well, if that is the case, then they just will, um, you know, they will act appropriately online. Well, hey, we're so glad that you're in the room because it's important that young people are getting a voice there, especially someone as accomplished as you. Chanel Contos from Teachers Consent. Thanks for joining us on Hack. Thanks so much. Hack. On Triple J. And still a lot of comments about the interview with Dr. Sam, the pain researcher who's going to extreme lengths to really figure out what pain is and how we can find new pain relief. Someone says, I was stung by a spider wasp and it was so bad. I'm actually stoked to know it's notoriously painful and I'm not just a giant sook. And another person says, I wonder if Dr. Sam is the best test subject or whether he has developed a pain tolerance changing his threshold. Well, yeah, he talked about how he was used to getting bitten or stung by bees all the time when he was a kid. So maybe his body's just given up and thought, yep, we're used to this. Look, that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. We'll be back tomorrow and catch you then.